This morning's message is taken from the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'll be very blunt. I either need to stop apologizing and just simply use your ESV or otherwise just acknowledge the fact that you're going to have to live with what you get when you get me. Um, But I'm going to, once again, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, not because I think the NIV is a better translation. I share some of the concerns with the more recent NIV translation. The thing is, is that all of my... Not all, but significant little markers are in this Bible. And so, and I'm going to ask once again for you to find that passage and just leave your Bibles open. Probably the best thing I could encourage God's people to do is take your own study Bible, a Bible that you're not afraid to write in. I know. I'm old enough to know that there was a time when writing in the Bible was, whoa, whoa. you don't write in the Bible, you don't throw the Bible around, because it is, it is in a very special way, God's Word, but there's nothing sacred about the book. You can write in it, okay? So, um, and I just find it helpful um, to be able to have a Bible that you write notes to. With that probably unnecessary and lengthy conversation, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of illumination. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we open your word, we pray a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. First, to be with your servant, give wisdom and insight and discernment. Then remove anything that would keep us from hearing you speak to us this morning. That is our longing, that is our desire, to hear you speak to us through your word and servant in order that we might hear a word that speaks to us of your grace, your mercy, your sovereign reign and rule, a word that speaks of who you are and who we are and how it is that we are to live in fellowship and relationship with you and what our calling and task is as your people in this, your world. To that end, we pray that your Holy Spirit may help us to understand, apply, and live out the teaching of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Kings, I'm going to look at 1 Kings 17, but I I want to call to your attention, first of all, the concluding verses of chapter 16. We are at that time in the history of the children of Israel where Ahab is now king in the northern ten tribes. And in particular, we are looking at, well, I'm going to just, there's a, and the NIV, there's a, there's a break there at verse 29 where it says Ahab became king of Israel and then it describes something of his reign. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, 
But he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now we come to chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kiriath Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, that I have, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kiriath Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. I'm going to pause there for just a few moments. So the setting, King Ahab, and hopefully you've heard enough about King Ahab. I don't need to explain just how bad a king he was and how evil he was. Not only he, but his wife, Queen Jezebel. What's interesting is that when you come to chapter 17, out of nowhere, you have this prophet of the Lord. Nothing more said about him, nothing more about where he cut, I mean, in terms of his lineage or who he's a son of, or he just all of a sudden, in the midst of this description of King Ahab, you have this prophet. Elijah, whose name means the Lord is my God. But God raises up this prophet who seems to just come out of nowhere and tasks him with bringing the word of the Lord to King Ahab. And the word of the Lord is that there will be no more rain for three years. Now, I don't know that I need to explain what that might be like to you, right? You didn't have a lot of rain this past year, did you? And you're already worried about maybe, you know, is this a, is this a pattern? Now, just stop and think of it. Three years. No rain, three years. Not just one year, just two years, three years. And if you have family and friends out in California, you can ask them because they've lived with drought situation and there are some, I understand, in Texas and the western states who have lived with drought conditions for a significant amount of time. It creates enormous economic issues and problems. So this is no small matter. What is interesting is that God chooses to discipline his people, and in particular King Ahab, by sending no rain. Not, not, not a plague, not, not sending an, an army against them like he has in the past with sending others. And you, you can't help but ask the question, why, why, why a drought? 
Well, we need maybe to ask the question, who's Baal? What, what kind of a god is Baal? What, they were worshiping Baal. What kind of a, Well, we hopefully have come to understand that Baal is the god of, what do you think, boys and girls? He's the god of what? Say it louder. Rain? Yeah. Fertility. Rain. Baal is the one who's in charge of sending rain. Baal is the God who provides rain, and he's the God who provides fertility. So there's there's growth in agriculture, and and he's the one in, in fertility in terms of, of, of human procreation. So Baal is the God who you turn to when you want it to rain. And God says to Elijah, go and tell Ahab it's not going to rain for three years. That's interesting. Then the word of the Lord, and um, I hopefully don't need to spend a lot of time there either. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. God's word leaves the geographical area that has been designated as the promised land. God's word is leaving God's people without a word in their midst. So, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Elijah crosses the Jordan, goes into the wilderness area on the eastern side of the Jordan. And there, God provides for, you don't have the word there, but here you want a, you, you want a definition of providence? Here you have it. Now, it doesn't use that big fancy word, providence, but God provides for his servant in this situation. And how does God do it? By sending ravens in the morning and the evening. Any immediate thought about this? these servants, birds, who provide for Elijah under these circumstances? Any thoughts about ravens? Today, we, we, I, whether, you, whether they're ravens or whether they're crows, it doesn't really matter. But, but, but what do you know about crows? What do you know about ravens? They're kind of carnivores, aren't they? Yeah. And they're the kind of carnivores that eat roadkill, right? You've seen them. You've seen them on the road, right? Those big black birds that sit along the road and you wonder whether or not you're going to hit them with your car. That's because they're cleaning up the roadkill before somebody else can bring it to the local restaurant. These are unclean birds. They're unclean. They, they, you, you couldn't use them in, in temple worship. And you were not to, you certainly were not to eat them. You could eat doves, you could eat, you could eat um, pigeons, but you can't eat, you can't eat ravens because they're unclean. But God, in his providence, uses these unclean birds to sustain his servant, which is, I believe, God's way of saying, let's go back to creation. Let's go back to when I said, 
concerning the whole of creation, and it was good. And I am still able to take that which I said was good at creation, and I am able to use that to my glory and to sustain my servant. It's a powerful message of God's sovereign power and grace to make a difference in God's world. Sin is conquered by, overcome by God and his sovereign power and grace. Lesson number one. I'm going to go on. The brook dries up in verse seven. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land and that's, the, the drought was quite extensive. Then again, the word of the Lord, okay, here's that phrase again. The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Seraphath of Sidon. Hmm. Where did we read that? How about if we go back to chapter 16, where it talks about Ahab and Jezebel? Okay. I'm, on, I'm looking at verse 13. This is this describing Ahab. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the You you wouldn't make a very good catechism class. King of the Sidonians, right? Where where is where is the prophet of the Lord gonna go? Go to Zarephath of Sidon, the very, the very home of the king of the Sidonians who is a Baal worshiper. You're going to the, to the den of evil. You are going into the enemy's territory, the liar, so to speak, the den of evil. This is Baal's territory, supposedly. And God says to his servant, I want you to go into that very land that worships Baal, and I'm going to provide for you there through, again, a pretty amazing way, a widow. The widow at Zarephath. For I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So Elijah goes to Zarephath. When he had came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and by the way, could you bring me a little piece of bread? As surely as the Lord, your God. Don't, don't, don't miss that. Okay, if you've got your own Bible, underline that. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat 
and die. Things are that drastic. Okay? Now, if I were in a Bible study, hopefully, maybe more particularly, a ladies' Bible study, I would just, I'd be real curious to, 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 to go around the room and to ask the mums in that group, put yourself in this widow situation. Some, some Israelite, you don't know this man. You just know he's, a, he's from Israel. You've heard about the God of the Israelites. So she's certainly is sensitive to the fact that the Israelites worship a different God than Baal. That's why she makes reference to your God. And this stranger says to you, will you please get me a drink? And then adds as she's walking away and bring me a piece of bread. And then she explains, all I have is a little flour, a little oil. I'm going to make one last meal. What would you do? What would you do when this stranger asked you to put his life ahead of your son's life in your life? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said. But first, first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. God is living in the midst of his people. This is the God who brought his people out of Exodus. This is the God who came time and time again to deliver his people during the time of the judges. This is the God who time and time again helped his people conquer not only the land of Palestine, but delivered them from the Philistines, the Midianites, the Jebusites, etc. They they have a long history of God's involvement in their life. And yet, time and time again, the overwhelming message that we have of the Old Testament is that God's people continued to go astray. God's people, instead of being an influence in the world in which they were, instead of being countercultural, instead of being a light to the nations, became like the nations around about them. And Ahab is a prime example. Instead of bringing an end to this idol worship, the worship of Baal, he, he builds a temple and he puts an, an image, an idol of Baal in the midst of the temple and calls upon people to worship it. God sends his prophet to this land of Sidon, the enemy land, the land of Baal, and you have, I, I, I can't, I, I hope you don't pass this up too quickly. 
This is no small matter. I can't imagine. I honestly can't. I can't imagine what it would have been like for a mother to hear this request, but go first and make me, this stranger, man I don't know, make me a loaf of bread first, and then you make something for yourself and your son. Come on, ladies. Help me out. This guy, this guy's crazy. Right? Would you do it? Would you be so quick to say, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yep. I don't know you from anybody, but yep, I'd be happy. You know, sure, you're more important than my son. You're more important. Yeah. Talk about faith. Talk about faith. This widow stands as an incredibly sharp contrast to the very people of God who continue to walk in disobedience, continue to break covenant. And here is this foreigner, this widow, who's willing to live by faith. Because the God of Israel has asked her to do something, and she responds in incredible faith and obedience. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with... Better underline it again. The word of the Lord. Okay? Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. So she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? You know, one of the things about... So this this woman, by the grace of God, by God's sovereign grace... This woman responds in obedience. She has a childlike faith and trust, but it's childlike. It it, it needs to be nurtured. It's not the kind of faith that God wants to see complete in the life, or it's, 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 it's it's on a trajectory to become ever increasingly deep and knowledgeable in the things of God, but it's not there yet. So this woman has a mistaken notion, and, and not, not surprisingly, because there are people that there's this, there's this mistaken notion that, that God is a God of, of, of anger, or God is a God who, you, you cross the line and bang, that's it, man, you've had it. Unfortunately, sometimes, and I'll have to acknowledge that I don't know, I was guilty of it in terms of disciplining our own kids. There were times when I disciplined, not out of love, but out of anger, when they would do something, and my immediate response was, and so it's not surprising that sometimes kids get the, or young people get the notion that, well, Father, Heavenly Father, okay, sometimes it's kind of hard to separate. And so you had this notion of a God who, or a God who, you know, as long as you do the right things, as long as you bring the right offerings, or as long as you do the things that please him, 
It's a, it's a God you, you kind of negotiate with. And as long as you do the things that this God wants, and the, you know, the, the, the tragedy of, of idol worship, the tragedy of, you know, is you look around about today and, and you look at, um, you look at uh, Buddhism and Hinduism, you know, it's, a, it's, it's really, it's all a matter of, you know, if you bring the right things, if, if you do the right things, if you say the right things, that somehow God ought to be happy with us. What this lady needs to understand, what this widow needs to understand is that that's not, that's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Her son dies. She's convinced that God had something to do with it. But she has a mistaken notion of who this God is and how he deals with people in justice, righteousness, but also compassion and loving kindness. She comes to Elijah. Elijah says, give me your son. Verse 19, he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Well, we don't have time this morning, but there's a lot there in terms of Elijah's trust and faith in God as well. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know. I could, but it's kind of risky for me in this congregation. There are some folks in this congregation that I know. You know, the word no is a little bit like the word love. It's pretty nebulous in some ways. It's hard to pin down because we talk about, I just love chocolate chip mint ice cream. I just love cookie dough ice cream. I just love pizza ranch pizza. I love my puppy, and I love my mom, and I love my dad. And so we use love in so many different ways. After a while, it's hard to say what exactly love is, right? Well, we sometimes have that problem with the word no. Do you know me? You probably know who I am. You probably know my name. But I doubt whether anyone here has the kind of knowledge of me that my wife has. And that's why in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden, it says, you know, at least the King James, the old King James version, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived. You know, in the early days when I read that, Bible's not going to talk about sexual intimacy. Can't use that word, so it's going to use a euphemism for that. So 
Adam knew his wife because that that's not so bad in terms of sending wrong messages about sexuality. But that's not that's not why the Bible chooses that word. Adam knew his wife in the more profound sense of an intimate relationship that goes far beyond the physical. And again, we don't have time this morning, but maybe some other time we can come back and revisit this. John chapter 17. You should maybe make a note of this. You can look it up yourself later. This is Jesus in his prayer for his disciples. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. This is the definition of eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now that's a whole different level of using that word know. This is just not some head knowledge. This is not just I know some facts about. This is not I know that you have a different God in Israel than we have here in the the country of Sidon. I know that your God has done miraculous things. All of that is part and parcel of her journey. But at this moment, she is now able to say, by the grace of God, to the working of the Holy Spirit, now I know, I know in that sense of of an intimate relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know, I know that you are a man of God And I know that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. It's not surprising that Jesus refers to this passage when he begins his earthly ministry. And he's preaching to the hometown crowd in Nazareth. And he reminds them that there were many lepers in the land of Israel. But only one leopard that we know of was cleansed of his leprosy, right? He happened to be an Assyrian general, the very enemy of God. And we also know that there was one widow whose life was sustained and whose son was risen. Because in both instances, there was a faith. There was a faith exemplified in those people who were outside of the covenant community who did what God's people constantly failed to do and that is to live a life of faith and to live a life in which they can honestly say, I know, I know in the intimacy of my relationship, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know my heavenly father. And I share that with you this morning. Because that's a challenge I think that comes to the church of Jesus Christ today. And just in case you were wondering, yep, there are still bales out there. 
there are still those gods that people worship. Now, they're not made of wood and stone, but in the culture in which we live, there are gods called materialism, hedonism. And there are people who have sold out. There are those people who have grown up in the church who, like Ahab, have walked a road of disobedience. We are reminded by this story and by the testimony of the New Testament when God reaches out to the Gentiles that God will hold us accountable for breaking covenant but God will always have a church even if it means reaching out to a widow in the enemy's territory to give evidence that his sovereign grace knows no boundaries. His sovereign grace can reach even the folks who are the most unlikely of those who you and I would expect to experience the goodness and the loving kindness of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the knowledge that we have, just not a head knowledge, not just some facts, not just, not just as important as doctrine is, as important as it is to be able to have a knowledge of and to commit to memory your word. We know from the teaching of your word May, may we be able to say like the widow with Seraphath, now I know. I know that God is living in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that God's word is truth. And I know, I know that in order to walk in fellowship with this God, I need to die to myself by the grace of God and be raised in newness of life in Jesus Christ. So it ought not to surprise us that this knowledge comes about through a death and a resurrection, pointing to that ultimate death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to bring new life to each and every one of those who believe. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.